And I remember getting through security. And at that point, he couldn't help me take everything off the thing. But I was standing on the other side and I turned back and looked at him and waved. And he was crying. And that's the last in-person memory I have with him. This episode is brought to you by The Parlor Hair and Body Salon. With a quick reminder, it's okay to take time for yourself. Hi, I'm Chelsea B. And for those of you who don't know me, let me introduce myself. I'm not a life coach, a therapist, or a certified anything really, except like CPR and first aid. (laughs) Heck, I don't even have a college degree. I am, however, a regular old human with a huge heart and problems, just like you. If you're looking for a podcast to solve all of life's mysteries and show you how to become super successful, you're in the wrong place. This is Beyond the Picket Fence, a podcast that tells the behind the scenes of people's lives to remind you that no one is perfect. This is officially your invitation to take a break from trying to keep it all together. Let's get real. Today's story comes with a lot of surprises. What started out as a heart story quickly morphed into discovering all the pain points in Hannah's life, even a little dating bio. So without further ado, let's meet Hannah. I'm Hannah Noel. I'm a business alignment coach is what I call myself because I help people, women specifically, get into alignment in their business to create sustainability um, and then profitability. Of course, that's what everyone wants in their business. But I'm, you know, I really, uh, I'm just a normal person that's gone through a ton of stuff in her life. And I feel like a lot of people think my life is perfect in a lot of ways because of the, you know, the optimism and the positivity that I have. And I've, I actually had someone on Instagram recently say something about like how positive I am or how uplifting or encouraging I am. And I was like, okay, yeah, this is true. But like, I want to share all the parts of me. So I actually, I I created a whole new Instagram page. So I'm being more vulnerable there. I'm sharing more pieces of my story and I'm um I'm a single mom. I'm living in my dream beach town in Southern California. I love what I do. I love how I do it. I love who I do it with. And yeah, it's just life is a journey. <laughs> and there's so many pieces to all of it, right? Yes, so many pieces to all of it. While Hannah is an incredible businesswoman, today we're going to dig into all of those other pieces of her story. Like me, a scary heart incident is what changed the course of Hannah's life forever. Of course she was born and all of that jazz, but where did Hannah want to start? Let's dive in. It definitely started with my heart story, honestly. I had a lot of childhood trauma, like a lot of things that happened, people leaving me, different types of abuse, like a lot of hard stuff that that happened in my childhood. And that all played a part in my life up until the heart story started. So that's why I feel like my life really changed with my heart story. Hannah's parents got divorced when she was four. When she was eight, her biological dad moved. Hannah stayed with her mom and stepdad in Arizona while her bio dad moved far away to Montana. The relationship was definitely strained. Then, eventually, when she was 15, she didn't talk to him at all for three years. Then I got pregnant at 18 with my daughter now, who I'm a single mom to, and I wanted him to be a part of her life. And I wanted him to be a part of my life, you know, like as her biological grandpa, like that was important to me. So we reconnected. I went and visited him. 
he came and visited me. He was still in Montana and we kind of started like we had, first of all, we had such a healing week together when he first came down and visited me because of, um, our, like, you know, we talked about everything as far as him leaving and why he left and like everything. And he just apologized. And you know how sometimes people apologize and then like defend themselves or like kind of give excuses. He didn't do that at all. It was very much so like, I'm so sorry this happened. I wish I would have done it differently. I wish I knew better, like all of that. And it was such a healing moment for us. Hannah and her dad had reconnected and were finally having the father-daughter relationship that she so desperately wanted. The end. What a beautiful story, right? You know this isn't that kind of show. Unfortunately, February 12th, 2017, 10 days before his birthday, Hannah's dad passed away of a heart attack. Life was really busy at the time, so I actually hadn't talked to him in almost a month, probably, which at that point was kind of unusual. We had talked at least a couple times a month. And so when he died, you know, we had no, nobody had any idea that he was having heart troubles. He was dealing with high blood pressure, like really high. I remember when I went to Montana to like, you know, take care of everything. Cause I was his next of kin. He wasn't remarried or anything. Didn't have any other kids. <laughs> um, I went out there and found a notebook that he had been keeping track of his blood pressure. And it was like 200 over whatever, like regularly. And so that's, you know, eventually he, and he didn't tell anybody he kept it to himself. He didn't want to burden others with his struggles he didn't have a lot of money so he couldn't afford a doctor didn't have insurance even though he had a ton of friends that honestly would have paid <laughs> would have helped him or lent him money at least um he didn't do any of that he he just kept it to himself and it ended up killing him like and that's just the harsh reality that him keeping it to himself is what killed him and so that's kind of part of my story now as far as obviously the the grief and the pain that comes along with that losing your dad at 24 I just turned 24 which in my opinion is a, a young age to lose your parents <laughs> like and you know it was it was a moment where I realized a couple things first of all you know now I knew I had very close heart disease in my family so I wanted to take care of my heart and I really became more mindful of my heart health, which is just a good thing because so many people struggle with heart disease. Um, but it also made me appreciate life, like just in general, because he had so many friends, the memorial that we had. Um, I didn't have to pay for anything because the bar, he was a bartender. The, one of the bars that he had worked at let us rent out their room and they catered all for free because they loved him and they knew how important I was to him and they wanted to like support me in that way. The funeral director was one of his friends. And so she didn't like, she found government grants and everything to pay for his cremation. Like it was, it was such a, a moment of me realizing that, you know, the people in your life, the relationships, the connections that you make that sort of richness is so much more important than monetary richness, you know? And that was just like a huge moment in my life when I realized that 
it was more important to me to make a difference in someone's life than to make a lot of money. And up until, you know, I was only 24, but like up until that point, I was like, I'm going to be a millionaire by the time I'm 30 and blah, blah, blah. And like all these things. And that was really important to me to make a lot of money. And something just shifted where I realized I have people in my life that have made a lot of money that are miserable. Like they don't have friends. They're stressed out all the time, blah, blah, blah. I have to remind myself of this very often. Yes, of course we need money as a tool to survive this day and age. But when did we let money equal happiness? So often business owners and entrepreneurs have this mindset, work now, grind now, earn now, don't miss an opportunity, and then relax and enjoy later. That mindset gives me so much anxiety, and here's why. I don't want to sacrifice the now for big dollar signs. Obviously, that shows as I have no monetary income for this podcast yet. But if relationships could be used as an income, I'm filthy rich. The people I've met and these relationships that I've grown, they're priceless. My heart is so full. I've been reading a book called Trauma-Informed Yoga by Joanna Spence. It teaches mindfulness, and there's one part about self-care that I particularly loved. She talks about how important rest and sleep are. So while others chase the grind... I'm going to rest when I need to, put episodes out a little late, and post on socials when I can. Of course, I will do my best, but not at the sacrifice of enjoying the now. Whoa, I got on a tangent there. Anyway, back to Hannah's dad, who passed away rich with relationships. He had barely no money. I mean, he had like three friends that he owed money to when he died, and they all like they didn't ask me for it. They just like, you know, let it be a gift. And because of that experience, him dying very suddenly, him him keeping his disease to himself, him, you know, being afraid or being too proud, whatever it is, I don't even know, but I'm assuming probably more too proud to ask for help. All of those things allowed me to see like, okay, being open with my struggles, being open with what I need help with, taking, you know, uh, finding joy in the friendships that I have and the relationships and connections that I have, like, that's what life is all about. If I've done the math right, Hannah had six years of having the dad she wanted in her life. I know grief is an odd thing, but if I've learned anything, it's not to shy away from talking about the deceased, but to relish in the memories with their loved ones. So for that reason, I invited Hannah to help us get to know her dad. My last memory with him actually is, is sweet. I, um, I only visited him once. My daughter and I went up to Montana one time before he died and we were actually planning another trip for that summer. Cause he always wanted me to come up to Montana in this like end of summer, beginning of fall. So I visited him the one time it was in February. It was, uh, right after my birthday, you know, my birthday's in January and he, there's two key pieces that stood out about this, um, visit. My daughter was two. Was she two? It was in 2014. Yeah, she was two. And he got me like a spa day. So I went to like one of the spas and I had a massage and a pedicure and a facial. And my daughter stayed with him. And it was so unusual for her to be comfortable with someone that she didn't know well. Um, you know, we had spent a couple days together at that point. So she he wasn't a total stranger quite anymore. Um but yeah, I, I remember leaving and he had put on Finding Nemo or Finding Dory or something. And I left to go to the spa and she was like, bye, 
like no crying, like no complaint. She was so comfortable with him. And when I came back, it was like four or five hours later or something. When I came back, he was holding her and she was sleeping like in his arms on, on his chest. And I remember just being like, wow, like this is really special because that's, that was very unlike her to just be comfortable with someone. Um, and then at the end of that trip, so February snowing blizzard season, we had a two hour drive to the airport and a blizzard hit or a really bad snowstorm, at least at, you know, I don't know the difference necessarily. Um, and it took us way longer to get to the airport. And we pulled up to the curb of the airport. I think it was like 20 minutes. Yeah. It was like 15 or 20 minutes before they were going to be boarding. So I had to go through security. I had to check my bags because with a young baby, you have the car seat and everything that you have to check. Um, and I remember we were running like he we parked the car at the curb his girlfriend just sat in the driver's seat in case like you know somebody told her to move but we literally i i was already unbuckling my daughter and the car seat from the car like as we were pulling up to the curb i grabbed her uh, he had pump, popped the trunk before we even stopped. And so he parked the car, jumped out, grabbed my bag. I was grabbing my carry-on, like my diaper bag. I grabbed my daughter. He grabbed the car seat and we ran to the gate, the, um, the like ticket counter. And I had to beg them to let us check the bag still because they weren't going to, there's like usually the cutoff, you know? And I begged them and I started crying and he was like advocating, like, please, like, you know, she's a single mom, like she needs to get home because she has work and like, please let us go, you know, please take their bags. Um, and they did. And he took me to security as far as far as they would let him go. And he helped me like get the stroller in the in the security, like through the thing and helped me like with everything because I had formula that had already been made no I didn't I did have milk or something though for her that had already been made so there was all this drama if you've ever flown with kids listeners it's a whole experience <laughs> flying with little babies um and I remember getting through security and at that point he couldn't help me take everything off the off the off the thing anymore but I was standing on the other side of security and I turned back and looked at him and waved and he was crying because he cried every single time we got off the phone or, you know, when he did visit, um, he was crying and like, just like waving at me. And that that's the last like in-person memory I have with him. And so it was, um, it was rushed, which sometimes I, I wish it hadn't been rushed, you know, like if I had had any idea, <laughs> I mean, that's what everyone says, right? Like when a loved one dies, like if you had any idea it was going to happen, everyone wishes they would have done something differently. I wish I would have hug hugged him longer. Like I wish I would have just missed that flight and gone a day or two later, you know? And so there's parts of me that I definitely, um, you know, I, I feel, I feel sad for myself sometimes in that way. Um, but at the same time, like there's polarity in everything. There's good and bad in everything. And at the same time, I think that memory of how much he was helping me and how much he was supporting me is like 
everything I ever needed from him as a dad, you know? And so it's also like a great representation of our last, you know, visit together. So, you know, at, at that point, so kind of to go back to, I guess, the first question over those six years, we had developed a relationship where, um, we talked more regularly, like, you know, he updated me on his dating. I updated him on my work and my dating. And, um, we were definitely, we started to get closer at that point, but it was, you know, it was just definitely cut too short. 100%. Yeah. I've heard of things like this where people finally mend a relationship and then that other person dies. And it's like, ah, oh, right when I was getting everything good, but also wouldn't you have I don't know. It's like you wouldn't have wanted him to pass away and not have had that time. So like the six years is better than not. And that's Absolutely. why death hurts so much is because it's like grief is just love. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've studied a lot of grief lately. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. No, if, if, you know, if he had died sooner or when I wasn't talking to him, like, gosh, that's something I would have had to really like forgive myself for a lot. Like I would have, that would have been so much harder. So there definitely is that part of me that's like, you know, thank God we did reconnect and we had all those healing moments. And I probably, you know, I, if it had been when we weren't talking, I wouldn't have understood why he, you know, did what he did. And I wouldn't have had that healing for myself. And that would have been something I would have to heal by, you know, heal through on my own, which is a lot harder to heal things <laughs> when the person isn't there. So, um, yeah, I'm definitely grateful. It, it, at least all those things got to happen. Yeah. That's really special and really sad. My dad is like my favorite man besides my husband. Like I love my dad <laughs> so much and I'm like, so worried for the day he dies. I'll have to reach out to you and be like, help me get through this. <laughs> oh, yes, of course. Hannah had mentioned her new Instagram and how she was trying to share more of her whole story, as we call it, behind the scenes. I wonder where that shift came from for her. For a long time, I still wanted to, I guess, just make things look easier and better than they were. And this was even after he died. Um, at first, for the first year or two after he died, I was like much more open and honest. I also wasn't like showing up on social media. I was just a preschool teacher, like living my life. So it was a lot easier back then when I didn't have people watching me to be me, <laughs> you know, and to be more real. Um, but then once I started my online business and started showing up, I wanted to, you know, I wanted people to like enjoy being in my space. And I didn't want to have like negativity because I didn't want people to like feel bad coming to my page, all that kind of stuff. And so I realized there was a slow progression of me trying to make everything look good. And actually what happened, it was a year ago on the fifth anniversary of his death that something just hit me where I dropped my daughter off from school. I got back home and I felt so heavy. Like I felt just really down. And um, part of it was the year before I had like, I hadn't realized what day it was when it was the fourth year anniversary of his death. And it was the next day or late at night that day when I finally realized that it had been when he had died. And I felt so much shame and so much guilt over the fact that I didn't recognize it. And so then there was like all this pressure for the next year, especially five years feels like kind of a milestone, you know, like I felt last year there was this pressure to like really honor him. 
And I just felt really heavy. Like it just all felt heavy. And I called one of my friends and my best friend and I just like started crying and I just really leaned into the the pain that I was feeling. You know, I really was feeling very, like I missed out on a lot. I missed out on a lot more that we could have experienced. And so that was hard. Eventually, emotions will catch up to us. We have to feel them sooner or later. There's this story of a herd of buffalo and a herd of cattle stuck in this horrible storm. The cattle see the storm coming and they run from it as fast as they can. However, that storm consistently follows them and they're just constantly stuck in it in fear. The buffalo, on the other hand, turn towards the storm. They run to it, and after passing through it, they find the light on the other side, and the storm is over. I love that analogy because the quicker you embrace it, you know, embrace the pain and embrace the struggle and all of it, like, the quicker you move through it. And it really is so true. And that is what I think that's what happened is I was avoiding it for so long. Um, along with the rest of my childhood trauma, I was avoiding it for so long because it was too painful to come to terms with the fact that I had so many people in my life abandon me. We'll get into that in a minute. However, I'm curious, what are you right now, the cattle or the buffalo? I encourage you to think about that and decide what you want to be. If you're ready to face it, don't do it alone. Find help or even join our free online community and let us love on you through it. I'll link that in the show notes. Emotions are painful and sometimes even confusing because sometimes even our emotions have emotions. Hannah recognized she wasn't just sad about her dad passing, but upset that she forgot the fourth anniversary. And then she thought about her stepdad. And then because, you know, I have my stepdad who was good to me, like, then there was a part of me that felt like shame for like grieving my biological dad, like when he wasn't as involved in my life from pretty much all of my childhood, honestly, it was like, you know, he visited, I think, twice between the ages of eight and 15. And we talked, you know, maybe once a month or whatever. So like, I had some shame around actually really grieving him publicly. So it became this whole thing where I realized that a year ago. And I was like, well, what would he like hope for me? You know, like, what, what would he really want for me? And I connected with a medium actually, who like, like connected with him. And he, this was, I think a month or two later, he just told me this message of like, just how much he loved me and supported me and how proud he was of me. And that was what he said. Every single time we talked, he told me that. And the medium said that she saw him like hugging me, like, like standing behind me, hugging me. And, you know, if you or listeners don't like believe in that, then maybe that's weird to you. But for me, it was really, really healing. And it really made me realize like, you know, it's, it's okay. And it's good to show these harder moments too, to show the, the grief and the sadness and, you know, all of that, that comes with a loved one dying. And so, uh, yeah, I just, I decided that life isn't perfect everyone knows life isn't perfect. And so I'm going to start showing the imperfections. And that's what I started doing. I started talking about all the different struggles in my life. And then I realized that there were some things that I didn't want to share because I, my, my, my uh, page just felt unsafe. I knew there was a lot of people that followed me 
that I didn't really want to follow me. And so I decided to start a new Instagram account, which I just did a couple weeks ago. And that has, it's just all opened me up so much more to really truly being like who I am and really truly sharing all the good and the bad because everyone has the bad, you know, everyone goes through the hard things. And if we're all just pretending that everything's okay, then we're all suffering in misery on our own. And it's like, it's just not right. In my opinion, it's just not fair. It doesn't need to be that way. And yeah, it was definitely a year ago on the anniversary of his death is when it really like started changing for me again, when I realized I want to be open about this and about all the hard things, because I don't want to sit, you know, in this pain alone. It's one of my biggest missions to change the face of social media. So we aren't only looking at perfect moments in each other's lives, but we get a glimpse into all of it. So I was curious, with only being a few weeks into her new Instagram, how was her new content going for her so far? It's been actually really crazy. The amount of people that respond to my stuff now and share my posts and reply to my Instagram stories and answer my Instagram question boxes and stories, like all of those engagement pieces, I mean, I think it's gone up a lot. I mean, I had almost 3,000 followers on the other page. And I would get most of the time, nobody replying to my stories or answering my questions or whatever. And just the other day I posted something with, I have a hundred followers on this new page and I posted something and I had four people answer the question boxes. So whatever that growth is, I don't even know, but (laughs) I don't know the math of it, but you know, even that, like, yeah, totally me just showing, showing up as more myself (laughs) and sharing all of it has definitely like opened people up to being, you know, uh, receptive and responsive to what I'm sharing. That's really cool. It's my hopes and dream to like kind of re change the face of Instagram, which I think people like, you know, Elise Myers and yeah. AK Prizzy and (laughs) You know, the people I'm talking about that are just like showing the realness and I'm like, oh, yes, this is what we need because especially teenagers these days are just going and scrolling through all of this perfection, perfection. And, and like, I remember in junior high, I didn't even know if I brushed my hair in junior high and now all the junior high kids have like makeup and look perfect. And I'm like, wow, our poor kids are feeling like so heavy because they're not measuring up to this imaginary thing that we're supposed to be measuring up to that's not even real that no one is actually as perfect as they're trying to make it seem so yeah yeah, no it's so true I've seen those memes where it's like uh junior hires now and they have like perfect makeup that's like contoured and their perfect curled hair and like all the things and then junior hires when I was a kid and (laughs) it's like our horrible outfits that like didn't match and our glitter eyeshadow and you know, our lipstick that didn't match or like our five pounds of blush or like all the horrible makeup that we did. (laughs) And I don't know what it was, but my hair always looked so scraggly. Like, did my mom not make me brush my hair or something? (laughs) That's hilarious. Oh my Uh, God. That's so funny. Of course, me being me, I wanted to dig for more if she'd let me. Hannah kept mentioning childhood trauma and I wanted to know more. Hannah had so many people in her life abandon her, like she said earlier. Her father when she was eight, her friends when she was 14, 
In high school, Hannah got pregnant, and that's not like the most popular thing to do at 14, apparently. Three of my four best friends in high school decided to not be my friend anymore when I I got pregnant at 14 and had um, a daughter at 15 and placed her for adoption. And after that, they decided to not be my friend anymore. And I literally struggled with friendships up until like two years ago. (laughs) So from 15 to 28, I mean, I just couldn't, I didn't make friends. It was a subconscious thing where I just didn't trust people. You know, I was afraid they would leave me like if I got close to them. So I had my one close friend who's still my best friend and now I'm branching out to, <laughs> it's actually kind of a bummer because most of my friends now are online. Like they live all over the country and we've just connected in different ways through whatever different, you know, interests. And I'm like, okay, so now I want to put myself out there in real life and actually like make some friends in real life because I want to hang out with people and like yeah. <laughs> all of that. But I mean, I, you know, I had people leaving me for so long. And so it was easier to just avoid it. And this last year has been just an incredible healing journey of coming to terms with all of my pain, sharing some of it, um, you know, and just doing the shadow work around it and healing my inner child. And, you know, I I know the healing journey is something that is a lifelong journey. Like you're never fully healed, but I think there does come a point where you really know how to resource and really know how to, you know, use your tools when you're in a spiral of some kind. And that's just really ultimately my goal now is to have a toolbox. And I I have a nice little toolbox, but I want one of those like industrial huge toolboxes, you know, with a whole bunch of things that I can lean on. My sister Brenly from episode two, the fertility nurse, adopted her first baby. So I was super intrigued. Hannah was so gracious to share more about her teen pregnancy with us. So I got pregnant at 14 and had my daughter, my first daughter, a month, almost a month after my 15th birthday. Um, And I, you know, that was for me that you know people talk about daddy issues I think that was the like epitome of daddy issues I had my dad leave me so I didn't feel love from my biological dad my stepdad worked all the time like all the time and in my mind in my subconscious mind that told me that work and money was more important than me um and so I was kind of grasping at anything I could grasp at to have that love and attention from a male that I was seeking. And um, so that led to me, you know, I, and honestly, I didn't have a good sex ed either. Like the, the only sex education I had was um, like in school when they do the little bit of sex ed and they don't really tell you the consequences of having unprotected sex and they don't even tell you really what unprotected sex is and Uh you know I mean they for me at least they talked about like STDs and everything but I didn't realize that you know you should wear a condom if you don't want to get pregnant and I also Uh didn't realize what ovulation was and you know all those things and so um yeah had unprotected sex that was when I was um 14 and I didn't even, I had no idea like what happened. I genuinely like didn't know that it was a possibility that I could get pregnant. So when I did, I actually didn't find out until I was gosh, already in my second trimester, I think is when I finally found out that I was pregnant. And, um, how did you find out? 
Yeah. So my period was late and it was actually the, the dad, it was actually his mom that was like, I don't remember how she knew or, or how that conversation happened, but she was even like, you should take a pregnancy test. Like, and I'm like, what? Like, how do you get pregnant? Like, I can't be pregnant. And so he got me one and I took it and it was positive. And I was like, what the, (laughs) like, oh my gosh. And And you're just a baby. I'm just a baby. And the one thing I did know is that abortion was not an option for me. And I, I, somehow I knew what abortion was and I knew that wasn't an option. And so I decided to hide it from my parents until abortion was illegal, which was 24 weeks because, because I was a minor, I didn't know if they could force me. I felt like they probably couldn't because it's my body, but I also just didn't know. So I was like, well, I'll hide it until I'm 24 weeks. Um, and my stepdad ended up realizing before, like he, cause I, it's hard to hide a pregnant belly. Um, and I was, I remember specifically, I was like reaching up in a cabinet for something and he came over and he put a hand on my stomach and was like, did you and Ray have, have sex? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, and you think you're pregnant? And I was like, uh, I am. (laughs) And that was, you know, a lot to, you know, then I was worried about would I be forced to have an abortion? Um, and I was actually taken to an abortion clinic by a family member. And I remember the, um, the abortion provider said like, she was trying to force me to have one actually. Um, I remember her saying, cause I, I take, that's another part of my story. I have epilepsy or I had it at least. I haven't been undiagnosed officially, so I don't know, but, um, I had it. So I was taking medicine and she told me this horror story of how one of her friends took the same medication when she was pregnant. And now her son is a ward of the state. And if I keep this pregnancy, if I keep this baby, she's just going to live a miserable life. And it's just going to be so hard for me. And I'm so young and it's, you know, she just told this whole very dramatic story. And I, um, I just knew like that wasn't an option for me. Like I just knew that I was not going to have an abortion and she was, she was sitting there. She did the ultrasound. They don't let you see the ultrasound. And so I was just laying there while she was doing it. And she said, okay, so it looks like you're 21 weeks along. Um, It's a three day procedure and it's going to cost $1,800. Does that sound good? And I said, no, no, I'm not doing that. And at that point, that's when she tried to convince me the whole nine yards. Obviously, I didn't end up getting the abortion. I left and um, had my daughter placed her for adoption, chose a beautiful family for her. Um, but I never fully healed from the the father issues that I still had. And so I got pregnant again at 18. And that was um, a broken condom incident, actually. So that was interesting. Um, but her dad and I were together. He was a couple years older, so he already had a job and a place to live and everything. So I just moved in with him and we started raising her together. It didn't work out. I became a single mom when she was a year and a half 
And I've been, been a single mom ever since. And honestly, I think a lot of that is because of my dad issues that I didn't fully start healing until about a year ago. Um, so that's been, that's, you know, all of this is like so interesting to realize these things, right? Like realize all the patterns in my life and all the things that I've wanted, but I haven't had. Like the reason for a lot of it is because of the trauma that I haven't healed. And, you know, now I've started healing and I've gotten to some of it, but um, yeah, you know, that pain of, of not having the fatherly figure that I really wanted led me to those, um, those pregnancies and then led me to being single for nine years. <laughs> so did you break up with um, your daughter's dad, your first, well, what happened to the first daughter's dad? So he, we actually just like, my parents didn't let me talk to him. And when I placed her for adoption, um, he signed the papers too. And then that was just kind of it. Like we didn't mm. talk anymore. Um, so there was no real, like, it was like a forced breakup. It like it was really lonely. Like that was like all your friends left yeah. you and now you had this baby and you don't get to keep the baby. And now your guy's gone. Like how yeah. lonely is that? Well, there was, so there, there was a couple things. Like, first of all, the relationship with him was very toxic. Like, and at the time it was hard, you know, to like, cause I had leaned on him, but. And you're 14. And I was 14. <laughs> But pretty quickly, I realized that that was actually for my, the best <laughs> that I didn't, that that relationship didn't continue. Um, and also with the adoption, like I, I mean, as I don't, some people think it's weird, but honestly, I really felt like I was almost like a surrogate in some ways. Like I really felt like she was made for them and I just happened to be the vessel to bring her to earth. <laughs> That's beautiful. Was it a closed adoption or is it open? No, it's an open adoption. Yeah. So I'm still in touch with her and her family. Um, and it's, you know, they feel like they live, uh, you know, across the country, but they just feel like extended family that lives in another state, you know, an aunt and uncle or whatever. Um, and it's, it's really such a beautiful, I, I never, there was a natural feeling of, of grief of not having her, but it wasn't, um, I was never like heartbroken or like depressed or like really sad. Like I, I always, the leading feeling in all of it was definitely like how proud I was of myself and how happy I was that I got to give her an amazing family. That was like always the leading, that was always what I led with. And then there, then there was kind of the subtle sadness because that's just unnatural for a, a yeah. mother. To, and it's your hormones to, are going yeah. and. Yeah. yeah. So all of that is just a natural thing. Um, but it was never the leading thing for me, but my friends leaving me now that was like one of the most traumatic things in my, my life was them deciding not to be my friend because, of. I mean, sometimes honestly, I still don't really even know if it was because I got pregnant or because I placed her for adoption. But one way or another, I was a bad influence in, in their mom's eyes, actually. So their moms and then the Bible teacher at the private school that I was going to, these three grown women in their 40s, um, they like, you know, went on like a witch hunt <laughs> over me and they did everything they could to make sure that I, you know, didn't have a bad influence on other kids. And I remember saying to someone at one point, like, you know, everybody's having sex here, right? Like everyone is having sex. Just nobody's getting caught. 
because if they get pregnant, they get an abortion or they're just not getting pregnant. And so they're not getting caught. Like the only difference in this is that I got pregnant and I kept the baby. That's the only difference. Which is like what a Christian would have told you to do, right? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. It's like so So confusing. It's so confusing. And I remember being like so proud of myself. Like I chose life for this baby and I, you know, placed her with an amazing Christian family that had, you know, all the support and like just beautiful, like, you know, as perfect as you can get in in my opinion. And they like disowned me for it. And I'm like, so confusing. This is confusing and not fair and not right. Um, My parents actually almost sued those women for slander and they probably would have done it if I told them, no, I didn't want to go through all the drama of dealing with that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that was a lot. And it always, uh, I don't even need to get into it, but just like, I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is Mormon. And just culture things get me fired up because I'm like, we preach one thing and we do it different. Like if there's a pregnant person in church, a pregnant 15-year-old, Jesus Christ would be pouring love out all over that little 15-year-old. Like, why are we shunning people for being sinners? That's why we're here. We're here to be sinners. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And I just, I really don't understand the Christian. uh, I mean, I I struggle because I believe so much of what Christianity believes. But there's a couple things that I don't totally agree with. Like, I think the Bible, there's a lot of inconsistencies and I think it's interpreted differently. And some people interpret it more literal when I think the Bible uses a ton of metaphors. (laughs) And so there's, you know, for me, um, I still believe, you know, God created the earth. Jesus is a son. I believe in the Holy, uh, the, the Holy Trinity and the Holy Spirit and all these things. And Jesus came down to die for our sins and all of that. But I think we also have free will to be human beings and to use our brain that God gave us and to use our experiences that God was a part of, you know? So it's like, I think there's like, why do we, why do we judge people, you know, people in the LGBTQ community? Like, why do we disown them just because they aren't a straight cis person? Like, everybody like isn't love love like didn't Jesus tell us to love our neighbor like aren't we just supposed to love people didn't Jesus love the prostitute didn't he help the prostitute it is not our place to judge for others when did church become a museum for saints and stop being a hospital for sinners why are we disowning people instead of pouring out love all over them and that is where again this perfection thing comes in where we're all showing up to church in our best dress best makeup acting like we are perfect saints, hearing the message, blah, blah, blah. When really, if everyone would come as they were and just leave it on the table, we could help each other and love each other and like find Christ in all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, realistically, like I don't go to church anymore because I haven't ever had a good experience with the church. I've gone to a whole bunch and 
I've had nothing but judgment from churches. Yeah, um, you mean people didn't love you when you're pregnant at church? That makes yeah. me so mad. But I know people it's didn't love me when I was pregnant at church. People didn't love me when I was a single mom. People didn't love me when I was a unwed pregnant 18 year old. Like I never had the support of the church. And so I don't even go to church anymore. And it's crazy. There's so many layers to it yeah. that, that people just avoid. <laughs> Yeah. And I think it's actually beautiful though, because sometimes people think if you don't go to church, you don't believe in God. And that's like, like you just barely told me that you believe all of that stuff and you probably either have or are working on or whatever your own relationship with God. And isn't that what it's about? Like, isn't it between me and him and that's it? Yeah. Church is supposed to be a place of community where you can find help, but it's turned into a place of judgment of where you just want to stay away because you can't come as you are, as Jesus would have had it. So yeah. That's kind of why I stay in church because I'm like, I want to be the person that if someone decides to stay in church, I want to be the person sitting with the pregnant 15 year old. You know what I mean? Love like, that. I love so I that. stay in to raise heck, but, but <laughs> I don't judge anyone who leaves because I get it. Like I super get it. And I, I hope to change it. Hopefully. Well, and that's, you know, that's the other thing. Just my last thought on religion is the people that do leave organized religion. So I would consider myself someone who has left organized religion, but I still have my relationship with God and with Jesus. But a lot of typical Christians who are in the church, you know, would say that I am whatever I am. (laughs) I'm a lost soul. Yeah, exactly. Just because I don't, I don't actively consider myself a Christian because there are so many stereotypes that go along with it that I do not hold. And so it's hard for me to to say that because I want people to be an open mind (laughs) and to trust me, you know, and to know that like, I'm going to support them no matter what. So that's beautiful. Well, I support you in that as a person who goes to church regularly, I love you and I see you and I support you in taking care of yourself and healing. And I think I, Jesus loves you. Like I can just feel it. You should be so proud of yourself. You're doing a great job. Thank you. Thank you. That means a lot. <laughs> See, I love where these conversations go. I never know where they're going to go. <laughs> I know. I know. We're talking about a heart story and beyond the picket fence, but then it's like adoption and teen pregnancy and religion. Honestly, these are all the traumas of my life. Like, you know, there, there are multiple forms of abuse. Like it's not just domestic violence. And I definitely have experienced religious abuse, spiritual abuse. I've experienced emotional abuse and uh, mental abuse and financial abuse with my young motherhood. Um, And so, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, that's what the whole, that's what the point of all of this is. Like, these are all, all the painful parts of my life. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) No, 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 no. This is the point. Like, this, this is the point. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And it's just beautiful that you and I kind of are the same in, in the fact that the heart story is what launched us into the healing of having to face it. I thought my life was perfect. My parents loved each other, were married and I had a beautiful childhood and I always just went to church and I always just believed everything I was supposed to and did everything I was supposed to got married young, met my husband at church. Like a life doesn't get more picket fence then like I am the most (laughs) vanilla person in the world right so then all of a sudden my son dies in front of me and on a hospital bed and I'm like 
everything like trauma and then it opened up doors for different things but even my friends now like in high school I was nice and I was always happy and cheerful and I didn't realize like you don't always have to be happy and cheerful you are allowed to be sad too and mm-hmm. and being sad is not a sin and being angry is not a sin yeah and, yeah those are just and, emotions <laughs> yes and just because I'm crying doesn't mean I'm giving up on God blessing my life yeah. So it's been this whole discovery. And then like, what about the religion do I actually believe? And what do I want to keep for me and let, let rest? That's like, no, that doesn't, that doesn't work with my soul. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. So the, the heart story kind of launched my life into, to finding the richness in relationships instead of in money. Yeah. And that's, I think at the end of the day, you know, when we die, like we don't, the money doesn't go with us, you know, sure. It can help our, our family and leave a legacy for our family. And that's why I do what I do is to have a legacy for my daughter and hopefully future children. <laughs> if that ever comes to be. Um, but at the end of the day, like it's going to be the memories and the connections that I have with my daughter and with, you know, my relationship with her, that's more important than the money you know, like leaving a legacy, if I can leave an emotional, intelligent, generous, kind human being who just loves people. Like that's the ultimate goal for me. That's beautiful. Well, is there anything else you want to share before I ask you the last question? Do you feel like you covered everything you wanted to share? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think, you know, the only, the only other thing I would like to share is I truly believe that everything I've gone to has or gone through has a purpose. And I I feel like I was just telling my sister the other day, like, there's no way I've been through everything I've been through, just for like this to be the rest of my life, which I have a good life. But like, I am meant for so much more. And so I guess I just want to encourage your listeners, like, if, if you guys have been through some stuff too, which I'm assuming you have, if you're listening to this podcast, you know, If you've been through some stuff, like just know that you can find the good in it and you can do something really good with it. And that's really my whole purpose now in my, it's the reason I started my business is to help women, help people, you know, create the life that they've always dreamed of. Um, Because that's what we all deserve at the end of the day. We deserve to have, you know, it's destined for us, everything that we desire, everything that we want we don't have to let our past experiences tell us that we don't deserve something amazing. Speaking of deserving something amazing, don't you think Hannah deserves someone to share her life with? You know how much I love love and this lady deserves a good guy. So I made her give us a little dating profile. Listeners, if you know anyone, (laughs) I am definitely open to, I'm not actively dating anyone. Um, It's funny, I have a dating app, but like, it just feels so inauthentic. I don't know, it just feels so inauthentic. So I'm not, I'm not really active there. I also, something that I use in my work and in my life is human design. And human design is just like, it's not a personality thing, but some people just consider it a personality test. But it's basically like how you've been created based on based on astrology, actually, like how you've been created as a person. Um, And part of my human design is that I have to wait for the invitation for things. So like I'm not necessarily meant to go pursue people or opportunities like I'm meant to just be authentically me and 
share who I am and what I believe and all that and let the opportunities and the people come to me. So uh, I guess my point in that is dating apps are not super aligned with me because I'm having to put myself out there more than I really should. So I am open to conversations. <laughs> I am single and ready to mingle, um, which has, you know, I dated a little bit last year and that was fun to get back in the dating pool and it wasn't as scary as I thought it was going to be. So that was after so how old are you? What kind, what type of guy are you looking for? Let's hear your dating profile. Yes, yeah, my dating <laughs> profile. So I'm 30. Um, and I'm, you know, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm just looking for someone who is a good person and loves their family and, you know, is family oriented. Cause I would like to have more kids if that's in the cards for me. Um, you know, someone who has a work ethic, but not a workaholic, like has that healthy relationship and effective communication and knows boundaries and how to set and enforce boundaries. And, you know, in the spiritual world, there's a lot about masculine and feminine energetics. And some people kind of call that like traditional gender roles. I don't think of it that way. I think of it as a place of, you know, as a woman in my feminine, like I want to be open to supporting and encouraging and loving him. And I want him to be like my rock, you know, like have that groundedness, but also is like going to keep me in check if I'm like spiraling on him for no reason and like lashing out on him. Like I want there to be healthy boundaries, um, good communication. Like I said, definitely has to be kind and nice and get along with my family. If he doesn't get along with my family, then that's like a huge red flag for me. <laughs> so family oriented people person, um, you know, likes to travel. I love to go hiking. Obviously, if you're in Southern California, that's ideal. I guess that's kind of the gist of the most important parts of it. I love it. <laughs> and the other important thing, obviously, is you have to be good with kids because I already have a daughter <laughs> and, you know, being patient with her preteenness of she doesn't want me to date like there's going to be, you know, some struggle there potentially. Check, check, check. We're going to find someone for you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Of course, now you may be wondering what this lovely lady looks like, so go connect with her. And not only for that reason, but just be her follower because she's fun and uplifting and she's real. How can you connect with her? Great question. Let her tell you. You can connect with me on, I'm on Instagram the most at with Hannah Noel. And I just started a new account, which I think we talked about. So if, uh, you know, if you see one that says dart, 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 if you see one that says dot archive, that is my old account. So with Hannah Noel is my new one. And primarily on there, I am on TikTok and Facebook as well, but it's all the same content <laughs> and you can connect with me best on Instagram, but I do one-on-one -on -one coaching for women who want to start businesses or kind of adjust their businesses. And I have a membership where we do a weekly training and a monthly hot seat coaching call. Um, and that's really fun because I get to coach people, but like, if you don't know exactly what you're doing with your life, like it's a really great way to just get into some, uh, like intro coaching. Basically it's only $23 a month. So it's like a no brainer. Um, and then I have some pre-recorded programs too, if that's, you know, if that's your vibe, but, um, yeah. So Instagram's the best though, for sure. Awesome. Okay. Then the last question is. 
what do you wish people saw beyond your white picket fence? Oh, you know, when you, when you said that earlier, I thought, what, what is behind my white picket fence? First of all, you know, because in a lot of ways I have shared a lot of my pain over the last year. And so I think at the end of the day, what it comes to is like, I just want people to know that there is stuff behind the fence. There is nothing's per my white picket fence is full of dirt and there's, you know, the, there's probably some broken pieces in the fence. And I think just knowing that you're not alone and, um, you know, I hope, I hope that you feel comfortable sharing your parts and just asking for that help and asking for that support. If you feel like you're going through something really hard, um, there's a ton of people out there. Nobody's perfect. Nobody has a perfect life. The people that say they do are either seriously delusional or, um, you know, just lying to themselves. And so just know you're not alone, that my white picket fence is full of a lot of stuff. And I hope that it helps you see that there's a lot of other things going on out in the world. Thank you so much for listening. I'll miss you till next time. But if you need more, no worries. You can go back and listen to the entire first season if you missed it. And or connect with me on Instagram at Beyond with Chelsea, where you never know what's going to happen next. <laughs> Link in the show notes. And remember, lead with kindness because you never know what's going on for someone beyond their picket fence. I love it. I love it. Okay. That's it. Thank you. How do you feel? <laughs> I feel good. This was actually really like, you know, I had no idea what to expect re really. Like, you know, I knew we were going to talk about the heart story a little bit and, you know, my white picket fence, but I think this was so, this was really just cathartic to like lay a lot of this stuff out there in one you know what's actually going to be funny if people are like so tell me your story I'm going to be like okay go to Chelsea <laughs> you want to hear all my stuff here's all my stuff <laughs> I love that you you know embrace everyone's unique experiences and opinions because that's what makes the world go round I love what I do I love people <laughs> <laughs> well it, I can tell it radiates off of you thanks for sticking around Bye.